John the eighth chapter. And we will begin at verse 30. As he spoke these words, the Lord Jesus has been giving clear gospel instruction. And the words he spoke in this immediate context began with that story, that blessed, blessed story of the woman taken in adultery. She was taken in the very act. I've often wondered how they planned that. <laughs> but those fellows finagled away so that they could catch her eyeball to eyeball in the very act of adultery so they could pin something on the master. And they brought her to it. And they said, now the Lord, they said, Lord, Moses in the law commands that we kill her. What do you say? Hoping to get him to either speak a word against the law or to approve adultery. And he wouldn't do either. He just ignored them. He stooped down, wrote on the ground, act like he didn't hear a word they said. That's probably the best thing to do with carping religionists all the time. <laughs> Don't even try to answer them. Just ignore them. And the master just ignored them. And they kept on. And he said, uh, whichever one of you fellas doesn't have any sin, you go ahead and pick up the rocks and kill her. And with those words, every man was convinced in his own conscience, convicted in his own conscience. That's a horrible, deadly kind of conviction. It takes something more than conviction in your conscience to bring you to repentance and faith. Conviction just in your conscience from the light of reason and nature and creation. Just that kind of conviction from the law written on your heart by creation will never bring you to repentance. And these fellows being convicted in their own consciences walked out and left the Lord with the woman alone standing in the midst. Oh, I pray God may be pleased to do that for some of you. Fix it so that he shuts you up to himself alone. And he asked her, said, where are your accusers? Who's condemning you now? And she looks around her and there's nobody there. And she said, Lord, they're all gone. <laughs> no man. No, nobody left to condemn me. Nobody left to accuse me. And the Lord Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Oh, may the Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit through his word speak words of forgiveness and eternal life to your soul. And then our Lord began to preach to the Jews around. He said to them in verse 12, I am the light of the world. Without me, there's no seeing, there's no light, there's no knowledge, there's no understanding. In verse uh, 15, he said, you fellas, y'all judge after the flesh. You judge after the flesh. That's the only way we can judge, David. <laughs> Man is in flesh and he can only judge by the flesh. He said, he said you fellas are impressed with what impresses you. <laughs> You're impressed with the things you can see and feel and touch. You're impressed with the things people do. You're impressed with what you do for each other. I judge no man. 
Now, that doesn't mean I don't judge anybody. The father committed all judgment to the son. He said, I don't judge anything the way you do. I don't judge anything the way you do. What impresses you doesn't impress me in the least. Your show of religion is not impressive to me. Your, your outward behavior is not impressive to me. God looks on the heart, and he judges everything by that standard. And then our Lord says in verse 22, I go my way, but you can't come. <laughs> he said, I've come here with a specific mission. I've come here with a specific purpose. I've come here with a specific intent, with a specific design. I've come here to accomplish my Father's will, and the way I'm going is the way ordained for me from eternity. I'm going my way. No matter what you do, it's my way that's being accomplished. And when I've gone my way, I'm going back to my Father, and you can't come. You can't come. Then in verse uh, 23, he said, here's the reason why. You're from beneath. You're children of hell. He's talking to religious folks. Good, upstanding religious folks. You're from beneath. You're from beneath. I'm from above. We don't have anything in common. We don't have anything in common. And I want to tell you something. The Son of God and the religious people of this world, the vast majority of them, have absolutely nothing in common. One's from hell, the other's from heaven. He declares his eternal deity. He declares his incarnation. He declares himself to be God Almighty who lives and resides in heaven forever. God who lives forever. He says, I came down here on purpose. You're from beneath. And then he says again, in verse 24, because you believe not that I am, you don't believe me to be God Almighty? You don't believe me to be the promised Christ that I am he, he of whom the prophet spoke, he of whom the law spoke? You don't believe me to be him of whom all the prophets gave testimony and witness because you believe not that I am he. You shall die in your sins. You listen to me now. God help you to listen to me. If you go to hell, if you go to hell, there'll be one reason why you go to hell. It'll be because you will not believe on the Son of God. That's it. Because you will not submit to his righteousness. You will not have him to be your redeemer. You will not have him to be your all in all before God. You will not have him to be the only hope you have before God. Your only mediator, your only access, your only acceptance with God Almighty. You'll go to hell because you believe not the Son of God. Now you can argue and debate and fuss until you wake up in hell about divine predestination and human responsibility and all that stuff. I'm telling you, if you believe him, you have life eternal. If you believe not, you're going to die in your sins. You're going to die in your sins. And then our master says in verse 28, 
Let me paraphrase it for you and you read it as I do. He said, uh, he said, when my blood is dripping from your hands, then you're going to know that I've told you the truth. Is that what he said? When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you're going to know that I am He. I don't really think he is saying this in the sense that immediately after you've crucified me, you're going to realize what you've done. They didn't. But this is what he's saying. When you've lifted me up, when you put me on the tree, when you've nailed me to the cross, when you've put to death the Son of God, when you have your hands dripping with his blood before my throne, you're going to understand who I am. You're going to know I've told you the truth. I'm convinced whatever the torments of hell include, there's something about the torments of an awakened, guilty conscience. A worm that dies not, fire that's not quenched. Men and women under the wrath of God will forever know the truth and know their guilt and know the justice of their condemnation. Won't change their hearts. Won't bring any repentance, but they will know they have his blood on their hands. You'll know forever. You'll know forever. You've heard the gospel of God's grace. You've, you've had Christ lifted up before you and you spit in his face and said to hell with him. I won't have him. I won't have him. I won't have him. And then, our Lord, uh, he was a better preacher than we are. Folks heard him and, man, he spoke with authority, power. And folks said, that's it. I believe that. Look at it. As he spoke these words, many believed on him. But David, they didn't believe. They didn't believe. So, preacher, how do you know that? You read the rest of the chapter, they answered him. <laughs> they began to argue with him. They began to fuss with him about what he was teaching. They began to debate his doctrine. They believed on him, but they didn't believe. And the master knew that. You see, there are a lot of folks who believed, who never believed. A lot of folks who professed to be believers, who've never believed the Son of God. And they prove it in time. Look on. He says, then said Jesus to those Jews who believed on him. Let's see if you do. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. I know that evidences of grace are not proofs of grace. I'm aware of that. A person may have great evidences of grace enough to convince him, to convince her that everything is well when nothing is well and yet have no grace at all. Judas did. Ananias and Sapphira did. Demas did. Diotrephes did. They were convinced everything's all right. They got this thing sewed up. They, 
Uh, he said, I'm saved, sanctified, and everything's okay. Everything's okay. I believe on Jesus Christ. Everything's all right. But they're all in hell today. In fact, many who are lost will cling to false evidences of grace as a ground of hope, even to the day of judgment. In Matthew 7, our Lord says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. They talk about what they did. <laughs> talk about it right up to the throne of God in judgment. Don't you remember what we did? Don't you remember what we did? I'm concerned about folks talk about what they do, are doing, or used to do. And the real concern about folks talk about what they're going to do. <laughs> but folks who talk about what they do, rather than what he does, they're in serious trouble. What's the basis of your hope? What you do or what he did? What is it? Be honest with yourself before it's too late. What is the basis of your hope? Well, I, I, I remember when I went to church and Boy, they sang that hymn, and I just couldn't resist. And I walked down in front of the church. There ain't nobody top side of this earth ever been saved by that. Nobody. Nobody. What's, what's the basis of your hope? Well, I, that's what I thought. <laughs> Have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? Then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Oh, what terrible words. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, while evidences of grace are no proofs of grace, and we must not base our hope upon our evidences, we must not look to our evidences as as something that gives us confidence before God. Don't fail to understand that every believer, every believer is a man or woman who walks with God and their faith is made evident, not so much to themselves as to others by the, by the, re, the results of God's grace in them. The fact is, if I am born of God, I do repent of my sin. If you're born of God, there is in you a continual repentance of sin. Except you repent, our Lord said, you shall all likewise perish. The believer is not someone who repented of sin. The believer is one who repents of sin. He is continually repenting of what he is. Our hearts bleed before God. And yet, the fact is, my repentance needs to be repented of. My weeping over my sin doesn't give me any hope before God. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. I recognize that my repentance is in no way something by which I can look at this and say, now there, there, that's, that's what gives me hope before God. I do repent. But my repentance isn't, isn't based on my hope. I know this. Believers and men and women who look to Christ alone for everything. They do. All true believers trust Christ alone. Like this. The apostle says, but of him 
are you in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that every believer, every child of God, looks to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, his mediatorial accomplishments, his substitutionary death, his atonement, his righteousness, as our only basis of hope before God. But you can have that doctrinally and miss him altogether. It's not getting hold of the right doctrine to save a man. Now, I know folks arguing fuss about it. You're going to get the right doctrine if you know him. <laughs> You're going to do that. But you can sure get the doctrine and miss him. You can sure do it. You see, our faith in Christ, even our doctrinal faith, our precise orthodoxy is not the basis of our hope before him. Believers are men and women who do honestly and sincerely bow to Jesus Christ as Lord. They do. Our Lord said, uh, if any man will come after me, then he's got to hate his father, his mother, his brother, his sister, and his own life also. Or he can't be my disciple. That's what he said. That's what he said. I, I wrote something along this line some time ago and somebody got a hold of it and wrote me the other day and said, but uh, can we say that? That's, uh, surely that's just for the Jews. That's not for us. I believe I'd listen to it if I were you. The Son of God said it. What's that mean? Let me put it another way. He said, uh, if a man will lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, he'll find it. But if you save your life, you're going to lose it. I'll tell you exactly what that means. I spent the first 17 years of my life nearly holding on to my life. I was going to hold on to my life no matter what came down the road. Nobody going to tell me what to do. Nobody. Nobody. I wouldn't bow to any authority anywhere unless I was beaten made to bow to it. And then I didn't bow. I wouldn't have it. I will have my way. And then one day, blessed be his name, the Son of God conquered this rebel in his heart <laughs> and made me glad to say Lord you have your way and believers still do they continually bow to him bow to him bow to him bow to him continually not my will your will be done but I want to tell you something again my bowing to Christ doesn't give me any hope because there's still a lot of rebellion. Is that just honest? There's still, man, I have to fight this thing every day, all day long. My bowing to him needs itself to be repented of. Believers are men and women who love Christ and love one another. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, the apostle said, let him be damned. The Lord's coming. 
Believers are people who love Christ, love him as he's revealed in his word, love him in his true character, love him for who he is and all that he is. They love him and they love each other. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Believers, there are men and women whose hearts have been so transformed by the grace of God that they love him whom once they most hated and they love one another with a true heart fervently. They just do. <laughs> if, I, uh, if I don't love you, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul says it doesn't matter what I say, what I believe, or what I do, or what I've experienced, or what I've seen. I'm just talking to you and it's just so much noise. I'm just a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal without any rhythm, just making noise. Nothing, just utterly meaningless. Now let this preacher be honest with you and with himself and with God. I do love you. But it doesn't give me any hope before God. Because my love is so full of self-love. My love must be washed in the blood of Christ. I love him. Lord, you know all things. <laughs> you know that I love you. But my love for him not worth mentioning. Not worth mentioning. Believers are men and women who have a constant warfare in their souls. For we know that the law is spiritual, but we're carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. My God, if I could, I wouldn't behave like I do. I just wouldn't. For what I would, what I in my inmost being desire, what I in my inmost being long for, what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent to the law that it's good. Now then, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Then it is no more I, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find a law. Just a constant law. You can call it law of nature. You can call it law of sin. You can call it law of death. Whatever you want to. I can find the law. That when I would do good, evil is present with me. That's the unceasing experience of this man's life for 30 years. 33 years. When the word of God comes into a man's soul, in the power of the spirit, that man, that woman is 
a new creature in Christ, transformed by God's grace. But oh, my soul, the transformation is a continual process. <laughs> it, it happens all at once, but it keeps on happening. <laughs> and uh, we've been around long enough now, David, to know that generally when it seems to all of a sudden happen, and it's all over with, it doesn't last long. We just planted some beans and corn last week, a couple of weeks ago. A little while, it'll start shooting through the ground. But it takes it a little while. <laughs> and if the blackbirds or crows don't get it, it'll grow on up. And before you know it, you would never know that the seed that was put in the ground and the stalk you're looking at was the same thing unless you had been there and seen the process before. You'd never know the same thing. It's a transformation. And the transformation begins immediately as the seed germinates. But the transformation is not complete until you start pulling the corn off the ear. It's a continual process. And I'm telling you, Brother McGrew, if we've been born of God, we're continually being transformed by God's grace. Continually. And yet, the believer is a person in whom the fruit of God's Spirit never is perfected in this world. Never. They all bear the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> the fruit of, wherever the Spirit of God is, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. Those things are they're in every believer but never perfected in a believer, not on this earth, never. And when Christ takes the rule of a man's heart, that man, that woman in whom Christ rules is freed from the dominion of sin, but not from the being of sin. Freed from the curse of sin, but not from the presence of sin. The believer continually struggles with sin in this body of flesh until he drops this body of flesh. And yet, even that, that struggle, doesn't give me any hope before God. It just doesn't. You see, I know unregenerate people who talk about the same kind of struggle, who make no profession of faith at all. I know unregenerate people who, who still struggle with their consciences. And, man, if they do wrong, their conscience pricks them. If they do wrong, it, it bothers them. It, I mean, it, it bothers them. And they have no pretense of knowing God. So this struggle with sin doesn't, doesn't give me any assurance. A preacher, what does? What does? What, what is that one thing that is a distinguishing characteristic that shows the difference between a true believer and a mere religious professor? Will you listen to me? Don't pay attention to me. Listen to the book here. You got it right in front of you. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. 
And that's just right where it is. The one identifying mark of true faith is perseverance. All true believers keep on in the way. They keep looking to Christ, trusting Christ, clinging to Christ, holding to Christ. You'll find them to the end, believing on the Son of God. Now, let me see if I can illustrate. We who believe persevere because we are preserved and kept by the power of God. But we do persevere. Just in case you haven't heard, we have a little grandbaby. She'll be a year old. Shortly after we get home, second day of next month, she's beginning to walk around a little bit. I'm trying my best to get her to think I'm the finest thing in the world. And uh, she, she likes to rough house a little. I'll pick her up, swing her back and forth under my legs. You know how you do. And she just loves it. Holds on. Man, she holds on all she's got. But I wouldn't think about swinging her with her holding on to me. I wouldn't think about it. Because her little fingers won't wrap around my fingers. It doesn't matter how tight she grips, she couldn't possibly hold on. Though she clings tenaciously as though her life depended on it, her security is not in her holding me. But it's in me holding her while we sway. And while the believer lives in this world, to the day he dies, he lives holding to Christ. And we keep holding him, Brother Jack, because he won't let us go. But hold him with him. What do you mean, continuing his word? Here's the essence of it. <clears throat> he that believeth on the Son of God hath everlasting life. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How do I know that God wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life before the world began? How do I know Christ died for me? How do I know the Spirit of God's called me? I read a tremendous illustration of this the other day. Back years ago, there was a Scottish fellow, an old man, retired from the military, who was trying to explain God's election to a Sunday school class he was teaching just uh, teenage kids and uh, he said now you know I'm told that somewhere in the city of London they have a record book of all the men who've ever served in military service in this country and uh, I don't know that my name's written in the book but I have a pretty good reason to believe it is he said I've never been to London and I never read the book but as you know, I just retired. And I started drawing a pension every month. And being as how I'm drawing the pension, I presume my name is in the book. How do you know that your name's written? I've never been to heaven. I've never read Land's Book of Life. But the blessings of grace have been flowing to my soul through Jesus Christ the Lord, believing on him. Because my name's written in that book. <laughs> I'm his. How do you know? Because I believe it. 
Not because I believed him when I was 16 years old. Not because I believed him through an experience when I thought I was going to die. Not because I, I believed him through some deep waters. Not because I believed him this morning. Because I believe him right now. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Oh, God help you, don't you ever grow any bigger than that. How did you receive him? A naked, helpless, bankrupt, filthy, empty-handed, vile, wretched, hell-deserving sinner, trusting him alone. Now this is how I walk with him. A naked, bankrupt, empty-handed, helpless, vile, hell-deserving sinner, trusting Jesus Christ alone. But what about folks who quit walking with him? They never believed him. They just never did. You see, true faith is not a spasm of religion. Most everybody has fits of religion. You know, I used to go to church when I was a boy, and I knew when getting ready to go to church is when mom and dad had a real big fight. <laughs> We're going to go to church. We're going to get religious for a day or two. Or if... If I got in real bad trouble, we'd go to church. <laughs> see, they couldn't scare the hell out of me. Couldn't do anything else with me. So, see, they'd do that, and it escaped pretty good. But it didn't last long. We just had spasms of religion. And the fact is, Lane, most folks, their religion is just spasms of religion. The believer.